A quick note before we start this episode. Two sentences not materially important to this episode have been removed to comply with a nasty gram received by a particularly litigious group who are unhappy with a reference made to a now defunct version of their group. This group has no ties to Nexium. No other changes have been made to this episode. This is On Belief, a podcast about cults by Karen Geyer. Episode 2, Nexium with Brock Wilbur. Keith Raniere is charged with sex trafficking, racketeering, sexual exploitation of children, and other charges. 58 years old, he's pleaded not guilty. Yesterday, the court heard from the first of several women due to testify. Can we begin with the man at the center of this, the man at the center of the Nexium story, leader Keith Raniere? Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so Keith Raniere uh, was the co-founder of Nexium. He created it uh, 20 years ago. And he has built this mythology around himself, that he was a child prodigy, uh, an accomplished athlete, and a super genius, that he had this incredibly high IQ and decided to to devote his intelligence towards creating a system, a self-help system, that could help people achieve their personal and professional goals. The FBI has a very different story about, and and the prosecution has a very different story about who Keith Raniere is. They say he's a master manipulator and that he exploited people, he gained their trust and then exploited them for power, for money and for control. And he's now facing the range of of serious charges that that you mentioned, um, to which he's pleaded not guilty. and and you know we're, we're this trial is very much an attempt to try and understand which version of Keith Berneri is true, and and which version of Nexium too because as you mentioned selling itself as a self help group but the FBI believes it is in fact a sex cult. Tell us more about the group and why the FBI in fact uh, believes that. So the group claimed to be a humanitarian and self-help organization, and they offered a slate of expensive uh, self-help workshops. People would spend thousands of dollars to take their courses. Uh, But the FBI says actually what was going on is that this is a criminal enterprise, that they were engaged in uh, illegal activity, that a small inner circle that, uh, that was surrounding Keith were engaged in these criminal acts in order to exploit people, in order to gain power and to gain money and they were um, targeting people, uh, you know, targeting their vulnerabilities to uh, pressure them to uh, overextend themselves financially. And then in extreme cases, they, there is a claim that they were essentially blackmailing women in the group to have sex with Keith Raniere. That was a CBC News update on the trial of Keith Raniere, who has been accused of committing numerous egregious crimes against women and children. Today's episode has some frank discussion about sexual abuse and other types of abuse. If that's not something that you feel comfortable listening to, you should probably skip this episode. Nexium is a cult run by a self-professed genius named Keith Ranieri, who cut his teeth in multi-level marketing before he settled on starting a cult. Nexium's predecessor started out as a professional development course, but as Keith's ambitions and appetites grew, his organization became more and more like a cult. Nexium made the news when it was revealed that within Nexium was a secret society whereby women were sex slaves to Ranieri and even were branded with his initials and the initials of the head of the sorority, Smallville actress Allison Mack. In the week leading up to recording this episode, Nancy Saltzman, the second in command of Nexium, and Allison Mack both took deals and pled guilty to their charges. Keith Ranieri is currently standing trial for a litany of gruesome charges. To understand Nexium, you have to go all the way back to the beginning and the rather dubious origins of Keith Ranieri. Here's founder of the Cult Education Institute and cult educator Rick Allen Ross to explain the history of Nexium. Well, first of all, uh, Nexium started off as executive success programs. And then Jeunesse and, and DOS, which are these uh, you know, branches of Nexium. Uh, that 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 were cultivated by Nancy Salzman, Lauren Salzman, uh, Allison Mack, uh, under the under the direct supervision of Keith Raniere, 
they they grew from executive success programs and executive success programs ESP uh, and the members were once once known as espions. They uh, initially it was all about being a successful executive, being a successful businesswoman or businessman, and it wasn't that focused on women. And then these groups came into being that were focused on women. So the whole idea of Nexium and executive success programs was empowerment. But the, the Nexium basically is a composite. What Keith Raniere did was he copied a portion of Scientology, uh, the philosophy of Ayn Rand, objectivism, uh, multi-level marketing, Amway prepaid legal, uh, and he had his own MLM, multi-level marketing company called Consumer Byline. And also there was, he used a lot of things like that you would see from like a group called Landmark Education, previously known as EST or Earhart Seminars Training. And the seminar structure of, of Nexium was kind of a, a copy of uh, Landmark and EST, which runs something called the Forum, which is a very popular uh, big operation, uh, seminar selling company, Landmark. So, uh, so that's what Ranieri did. He incorporated all of this stuff. He copied it. He put it together with the help of Nancy Salzman, uh, who was trained in uh, neurolinguistic programming, NLP which is a form of persuasion in, in conversation and reading body language and so forth that she was certified in, as I understand it. And so they then came up with this system, a machine, if you will, to take people through their courses, break them down, and then they would have coaching and they would have uh, sessions called exploration of meaning or EMs, which would be the equivalent of auditing in Scientology. And the net result was you were getting inside people's heads, you were able to change their minds, and then ultimately you lock them in by isolating them within the group. And so you had a lot of people moving to the Albany, New York area to be near Keith Raniere, known as Vanguard. And uh, you had people just hyper hyperactively being involved in all kinds of activities with Nexium to the exclusion of everything else in their life, their family, their old friends. So they were in the bubble, they were in the echo chamber. And then if you will, Ranieri was gradually moving people, in my opinion, towards what he wanted, which was to uh, sexually exploit women, which he had a history of doing. So I don't think it was something that happened overnight. I think it was something that happened over a period of years. And it happened to people gradually through the training, through the EM sessions, the coaching, the texting, the attending of, of increasingly intense intensives, as they were called. And Ranieri was not the genius that he claimed, but he certainly was a savant when it came to coercive persuasion. Joining me to go more into detail on Nexium and including his own experiences with the cult and the aftermath is Brock Wilbur. Brock is a stand-up comedian and journalist who splits his time between LA and Kansas City. He's got too many podcasts and him and his wife have three cats, which is too many cats. He's the author of the forthcoming Boss Fights book on the video game Postal, and he's one of the first journalists to crack open the whole Nexium thing. Welcome, Brock. So, Brock, who is Keith Ranieri? Keith Ranieri is, um, oh boy. Uh, so he's a guy who made average grades in school, as we now know, uh, and uh, sort of just has this weird egotism about him, which is, it is, it is the most uh, white male privileged nonsense that he's had as many careers as he's had and that they've gone the way that they have. Basically, like, in the late 80s and early 90s, he got into sort of like a, a multi-level marketing thing, like a call center group. Uh, and there's these stupid ads that he got like the spokesman. The only spokesman that they could hire to like do these ads for them was one of the actors from Green Acres. Uh, 
anyway, he he's just forever had all these different little projects, uh, especially around communication and tech. But everything has always been around very obvious pyramid schemes. Uh, and uh, he he sort of kept amassing money and and sort of a weird goodwill in the tech world space. Like he's been on the cover of various like finance and business magazines, like a bunch. And it, it varies as to whether or not they're like, we have some questions about this guy or whether it's like just full on praise, uh, which uh, Forbes uh, did for him, which I will never forgive them for. Uh, anyway, he, he just sort of kept amassing these things. And as he goes, you build a, a cult of personality. And uh, he's one of the rare people that cash that in uh, for an actual goddamn cult. Um, He's also he's also the sort of lunatic who, like all these years later uh, and and like even was doing this early in his career, had had very much that inclination to be the original sort of uh, patent troll uh, and still does that sort of thing. So he's like sued AT&T, I believe Uh, this was just a couple of years ago, claiming that he invented the idea of telemarketing, uh, but that he lost the papers that prove it, but that he definitely came up with that idea. And like if you have infinity money you can keep a case like that going against somebody like AT&T for quite a while. And on the off chance that they don't file a paperwork or something like you, you win. Uh, so like he does a lot of that. And I understand why you, just in like a, a numbers game, he'll come out ahead on that. So Brock, tell us how Nexium got started. Uh, and uh, he, he basically like what, what made him sort of a hit on the business scene. And this is what Forbes loved about him uh, is that he started doing, uh, these ostensibly motivational seminars. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, it was it was ostensibly motivational and like personality building courses. Uh, and a bunch of big like multimillionaire business leader dudes went to these for like a week uh, and left being like, "Wow, he Keith Raniere changed how I think about business and myself." And like, you should all go. Uh, and so he just it, it sort of becomes this thing that like he just got enough box quotes. He just got enough like nice quotes from famous people that other people kept showing up in droves and started spending a lot of money on it. Uh, and then it starts to go in a dark direction. So that's where it starts to, to, to bend into Nexium. And what Nexium is, is it's sort of his, his company. Uh, there's multiple umbrellas here for different things. And all of it was designed to make sure that like he can never be sued or like that his money always exists somewhere that you know, no one can get to it, uh, which is fun they start to have all these offshoot organizations uh, that at first are so, supposed to be sort of like this. And obviously they take uh, another page from another big playbook. They take from Scientology's playbook and they say, what if we got really into acting? Because like if we have acting courses, you know, like taking an improv class, it is impossible at the end of the day to to like evaluate whether or not you've learned anything or actually gained any skills. So acting is just like that. It's like, I don't know, we'll set up these acting courses. We'll charge a lot of money for them. We'll hire a couple of local actors to like and tell them that they're good teachers or something. And people will keep coming for years and years on end, spending thousands and thousands of dollars to take these classes because we also imply that like there is this sort of worldwide good uh, behind what we're doing that like your money isn't just going to like this guy named Keith, your money is going to like uh, build villages in, in Africa. And like in the process you're learning acting and And we also like know all these famous business people. So like, if you were to meet some of these business people, wouldn't that help? It's, 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 it, it, it's so intangible. And like, when you step back from it, just like anything else here, you're like, I don't even understand the sales pitch. The sales pitch is so untethered that just to try and sum it all up, like it's hard. And having actually heard the sales pitch from them for various things, they're not very good at it still. Uh, so like no one really understands, but people still get caught up in that net anyway. So they didn't just stick with the acting courses, they expanded. So can you explain what that expansion looked like? Uh, when they realized that they could use both these training centers and people to focus money and and time, uh, which uh, are the two things that... W- one of the big things that was always a big question about Nexium uh when I first found it was sort of like, I don't get the end goal here. What is it? Uh, and I was like, if it was just money, it seems like they're going about the wrong way. And and the end goal is money, but it's also your time It's and, and your energy. And it's just your entire life. They're after your entire life. And once they realized that they could sort of 
suck that from people through the acting thing. They started opening up uh, these other sort of branch organizations, uh, one that we'll get to later that's that's about sort of an old school men and women are different thing, and then one that's about um, yoga, and uh, and then some stuff about, uh, obviously, uh, journalism, which we'll get into, too. It's It was all these different fronts, and all the fronts were basically uh, f- siphons to get people from around the world to come do their various training programs and oftentimes charge them to come do those training programs with the promise of there being like a job on the back end or further work. Uh, And by the time you're done with a five week training program, you're not, you don't even care anymore. You're just like, I just want to live here and and be a part of this. And and you forget all about what was happening. Uh, So there's, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the growth here. It went from Keith talking directly to business people to Keith realizing that he could just sit at home in Albany and let various people around the world just do his talks for him. He made a bunch of like videotapes and people are supposed to memorize them and recite them basically word for word. And if you deviate from that, you're in trouble because he's always watching on various cameras. What are some of the other groups that are underneath the Nexium umbrella? Well, there's uh, the one that obviously uh, impacted me. Uh, I, I found Nexium because uh, there was a job listing that my wife sent to me and she was like, this thing seems weird, but like maybe it matters. And it was for a new company right after the 2016 election that their whole job was to be was to find and evaluate and destroy fake news. Uh, and I was like, that seems relevant. I want to do that. As I started talking to them, they offered me a job and it was like, OK, this is cool. And then they were like, by the way, before the job starts, you have to come out to the woods in Albany for five weeks uh, and, uh, take this training course and we're not going to pay you for that. But at the end of that, you have a job. And, and the more I asked like, Hey, what happens in the woods? The more they were like, you shut the fuck up and just come to the woods. Why do you ask all these questions? You journalist, um, just, just come see what we got out here. Uh, and my wife and I were joking about it. We were like, wouldn't it be weird if this was a cult? Uh, and then some friends and I started following the money on it. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a cult. It ties into an actual cult. And so that was that offshoot was called The Knife of Aristotle. Uh, and I wrote uh, after a couple of months of researching it for Pace magazine, I wrote this big expose on like this site and the people that work there. Like it's not real. And the people that they list as working there, none of them are real. Their bios were I found out later that a number of these people were actually real. But like the the bios that were written for them weren't written in the way that any human being would ever talk about their own life. And definitely none of it was like factual because it was like, yeah, Karen went to Mexico university and you're like, the fuck is Mexico university? Like everything was sort of generic to countries, but not to specific organizations. And then most of them also had like these weird asides that were like, Phil grew up coming from money, but now he knows better. Yeah. It was this weird, like, anti like weird economic anxiety thing. And I was just like, why does everyone here come from being rich? Like one person's was like, she grew up riding horses, but she does no longer. And I was like, this isn't how anyone talks about themselves. No one that ever grew up rich and is running away from that is like, I was rich. Like, and so uh, like when, when I wrote this piece and it came out, they like took down all those bios uh, and took, and eventually took down their entire website uh, and then rebranded themselves Oh, fuck. I shouldn't use rebrand. Um, uh, rebranded themselves as uh, a new site that they thought my article uh, wouldn't follow them. Uh, so they rebranded under the name The Knife. They went from The Knife of Aristotle to The Knife, same website and everything. And I was just like, you're so fucking bad. Not just at names, but at figuring out uh, how these things work. Uh, so I've talked to a lot of people that like went and did the training and eventually washed out of it. And, and one of the things that they brought up is that like, at some point everybody kind of figures out like, Hey, there's something associated with what, whatever building we're in called, uh, and, and I've heard people talking saying this word Nexium. Uh, and there's, there are things about this cult that they do that are clever and it's, it's goddamn annoying when you stumble on something that they're accidentally smart about. And in this case, Nexium, uh, which is pronounced Nexium, uh, is written in capital letters NXIVM. Um, so if you heard the word Nexium and you went to Google that, you're not going to find a, find Nexivium uh, because that's just not how it works. So you can't possibly look up anything about the history of the cult. And in that way, um, they've also been very successful uh in Mexico and in Europe, uh, because up until very, very recently, 
there was nothing written about Nexium that wasn't in English. Uh, and so even if you did know what you were looking for, you weren't going to find a translation of that stuff. Like you could you, still in the Internet age, you could go to parts of the world where people couldn't read people outing you as a cult. Uh, so like, I don't know, that one's that one's kind of clever. And there's another one that will we'll, we'll come up later in this interview. I'm sure that's just it, it outrages me to say it out loud because for everything about them. In the process of spending the last two years writing about them, interviewing people, uh, everything about them makes me so goddamn angry because they were so successful for so long and they're so fucking dumb. They're so fucking dumb and I hate them and they're so dumb. But every once in a while they do one thing and that like buys them another couple of years and you're like, huh, all right, I guess that's the bar. Uh, you, you kind of, much in the way that you hear that Nexium is a sex cult, which it isn't. I mean, that's an element of it that we're talking about today, but it's so much more. It's trying to steal steal your entire life. It's not just uh, this one subset. But like when you hear that Nexium is a sex cult and then you look up Keith Raniere, who, which some of you might be doing right now, uh, you will see that he is not uh, the uh, the sort of hot, cool dude that you would expect to be leading a sex cult. He just uh, he just looks like a kind of aged tech guy uh, that definitely like comes from SF or something like it's just. It's 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 boring and he's boring and dumb and like you every part of it is like I it should be more sensational or at least it should look prettier and it's not. <laughs> Something that's come out in the reporting about Keith Raniere is that uh, he had some very deep seated sexual problems with women, and so part of the recruitment was solely focused on getting women in the door, and often that uh, took the form of co-opting the language of feminism and female empowerment in order to lure women, especially millennial women and younger, into the into the cult. Can you tell me about that? I had, I think, the the idea that everyone else has about cults, which is that like, uh, hey, who signed up to be in a cult in like 2019? What fucking idiot uh, like former drug addict are who are these these lost souls that signed up to do this? And uh and after my piece came out, like a lot of people started coming out of the woodwork, women that had escaped, people that had been out for a while, uh, dudes that had done the training. Everyone told me their stories. And overwhelmingly, uh, I found that the people that had been in the organization for maybe like a decade of their life, six, seven years, things like that, they're all like way smarter than me uh, and like just genuinely good, cool, smart people. And so there is there is an element about everything that we talk about here today that it does sound so dumb. Uh, but within certain contexts, I understand how somebody gets swept up in it. And a lot of it is based just on the ideas that, like, I, I have a friend who uh, is making a, a video game about a cult called The Church in the Darkness. Uh, and his his whole thing is like, um, yeah, people kind of shit on cults, uh, but like uh, cult-like groups... I think we're just jealous of them in some ways because, like, I don't know if you've noticed, but social media hasn't made any of us feel any less alone. Uh, and those people get to see other people all day long, every day that care about them. Uh, and they have these really, like, close-knit communities and, like, nice lives. And, like, I'm a little jealous of that. I'm like, okay, I see that that's part of the draw here, too. But the other part of the draw with Nexium is, as aforementioned, like, there was a lot of, we're actually changing the world. And, like, what you're doing is doing such good work. And, like... I'm somebody that would fall for that. All I want to do is be a good boy who helps people uh, and uh, and be told like, hey, you can keep pursuing your acting career, but in like this uh, positive consumption way that doesn't like you're you're actually like not being a capitalist. You're you're out there helping the world and like, OK, like tell me more about what that's like. Uh, so there are these organizations and I, the, the, the feminist fishing organizations are are still the more, most perplexing to me because I've talked to the women that signed up for them and I still do not understand how or why they did it. Uh, and no one seems to have a good answer for it, which makes me feel like there's a lot of other things at play. But basically, these groups uh, were focused on identifying in this, this very 1950s sort of way, like men and women are wired differently. Uh, and so it was supposed to be about female empowerment, but mostly it was about teaching women that they really had to stay uh, in their in their place and also uh, going out of its way to encourage women to know that their husbands, because of how they're wired, should be allowed to have multiple partners uh, and, and sometimes to marry multiple partners and to be polygamist. Uh, but that women should should only have one partner ever or, you know, they should be stoned to death. Uh, and 
all of these are, are, are these very slow boils where it seems like at the start, it must seem very interesting and full of potential. And around like week 11 is when it starts to be like, so polygamy, your husband should have it. Uh, and that that's just the weird turn that happens. But yeah, the, there are a number of these organizations and, and, and even different internal levels of the same organizations that were designed to be proto-feminist or, or, or to at least espouse that as a term. Uh, and then beneath the surface, n- nah, <laughs> that's not what it is. Uh, and so everyone has different ways of either figuring out that that's for them or not for them or eventually just coming around to the idea like, well, you know, I don't agree with all of this, but like at some point, like I work here now, I moved here. This is where my friends are. If I have some problems with it, yeah, they'll, they'll work out in time. <laughs> Let's talk about Jeunesse because that's the group that some people may be more familiar with. It's the one that Allison Mack tried to recruit Emma Watson to on Twitter. The, the big tenet of it is that women should be empowered, but uh, women are too dumb to understand the difference between right and wrong, and that's what you need men for. So basically that wiring isn't even just sexual. It's that like women don't have a morality barometer, but men can tell you when something's right or wrong, which is... Let's all agree, that's not how anything has ever worked. <laughs> and then within Jeunesse, uh, we have, uh, or I guess above it, uh, is DOS, uh, which is, um, it, like like everything else here, again, just the dumbest fucking name. Uh, and even the name DOS is is based on a, like a Latin phrase that they mistranslated, but it's basically about women being subservient to men. Um and Alice, and Alison Mack was really the leader of this internal group for that, uh, which, again, Alison Mack is an actress that was on some TV shows a long time ago. Uh, and uh, she basically um, I, I, I'd always been like, well, what? Like, I know that she's one of their, their one of their most famous faces. Like, how involved is she in this stuff? She uh, was at like the journalism training stuff, making people stay when they had suspicions and wanted to leave. She is. I, I I often talk about her in this way that like people people online got mad at me the first time I said it and I I stand by it. She is a victim here. She is absolutely a victim. Everyone beneath Keith uh, on this on this level, uh, everyone except Keith and Nancy Salzman, I consider to be uh, victims in this. But Allison Mack has also been doing this for a decade and brought hundreds of people into this program and came up with some of the most fucked up parts of uh of what we're going to get into next uh and uh we'll get up to her uh her court stuff at, near the end here i'm sure but like uh she's a victim but also fuck her is it okay to do that like she needs to pay like a huge terrible price for this at some point but there is still always a part of me that's like i the number of people i've talked to that lost years of their life decades lost families lost everything that mattered to them like i I have an understanding of what she's gone through and I, I hate that that happened, but also like she is now a monster. So there is, there are things that have to happen. And and like her punishment for whatever's happened is probably her path towards getting her life back. So like it, like any, anything that the courts throw at her, I consider to be helpful in getting her out of whatever this is. Uh, anyway, so she's uh, got DOS and DOS is basically as Allison comes up with the idea for, uh, it's a sorority, uh, and it is a sorority that aims to do very serious brainwashing, um, and the end result is to create sort of this, an interior sex cult uh, providing women for Keith and his friends, and he could trade these women to other powerful businessmen for, you know, more good businessmen quotes or for further business connections or for weird real estate deals. Uh, it it's this whole thing that becomes like it's it's a power th- dynamic thing and it's just for him and and the crazy part about uh Doss sort of hitting the news like a year ago like that's when everyone started talking about Nexium they're like oh there's there's all this weird sex cult stuff people within Nexium uh, overwhelmingly had no idea this was going on in any way there wasn't even whispers of it because the the, the just like Scientology there's so many different layers of of like who can even talk to who and who can even go to like what places that you have to be there for like five or six years before you can even be in a room with Keith. Uh, and even then he won't talk to you. So like 
that highest level or so, like they, they kept this pretty clean. And so there's a lot of people that like when they're getting out now, uh, have no real blood on their hands as far as I'm concerned. Like they're, they're just as shocked to hear about this as anybody else. And it's like, okay, yeah, it, it would be like working at CBS and then, you know, the less moon vest stuff comes out. I mean, at least there were always whispers of less moon vest, but of like, you're a, an affiliate CBS worker and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go now. Like, yeah, you never enabled him to do what he was doing. He was already doing it and you probably didn't know. Uh, so uh, the sorority, uh, it is run in this very hazing based way. And it's a lot of like beating people down and waking you up in the middle of the night, but it was all in, in, in a sorority hazing <laughs> frat hazing sort of way disguised as fun. It was supposed to be fun. Uh, it was supposed to be this fun thing that everybody participated in as a group and it would like create a sisterhood. Uh, and through that sisterhood, they would all find more empowerment for each other's like it's, it, it's that cycle. But the, uh, the thing that became, uh, the big headline making part of this, uh, is that, um, women were branding themselves around the genital area, uh, with Keith's initials. Uh, and that was part of this. And, uh, Alison Mack is the one to come up with that idea. Uh, and this is that thing I was referring to earlier that I it makes me so fucking angry to say it out loud because it's it's not just evil, it's clever evil, and it shows an amount of work went into this. Uh, her idea initially was that, like, uh, all the girls should get together, have a girls' night, get drunk, and then they'd all get tattoos of Keith's initials. But uh, if they got tattoos on the property in their Albany-like compound they could have been arrested for doing illegal tattoos. So that's why they went with branding each other with hot fucking iron like cattle because there's no laws on the books in Albany about illegally branding. Do you, the fucking, do you understand like looking up like the subcodes for like Albany to be like, well, what can we do on this weird sex cult ladies night? Uh, well, hot irons, I guess that's how we fix it. I just, I hate it so fucking much. <laughs> so you've talked to us about initiation rituals, but there were also some other really sinister things like human experiments that they conducted. One of those experiments involved forcing the women to watch beheading videos and other very gory videos. Can you elaborate on that? So this is, I think, the first time that that they realized that they were pushing a boundary that was going to get them caught. Uh, they basically uh, were doing science experiments on women. Uh, in, and uh, if you picture clockwork orange in your head, that's, that's what it is. Uh, everyone was sort of like there and forced to watch just... Uh, an endless series of violence and, and, uh, sexual violence and, and things like that. And, um, this was before they'd really gotten like locked down as a, as a, as a compound and sort of an area, uh, and, and stopped. So there were, there were still people sort of hanging out in their general vicinity when this sort of thing was going on. Uh, and people went to the, uh, attorney general of New York and told them about this, including a, a woman that left uh, the cult, uh, went to report all this. And this became the first in a series of times that the AG's office was informed about things like this. And it is, of course, what happens with any other cult uh, in America, which is that unless you can prove that somebody is there against their will, there's nothing that you can do so the ag was like is anyone here not want to be here and everyone's like we love being here and everything's great and they're like well that's what we can do uh <laughs> so yeah the weird clockwork orange stuff uh there's rumors about stuff that was also done on on children there's also a bunch of uh they have a series of sort of daycare centers slash grade schools around the world uh where whatever happens with kids uh there and the experiments that have been rumored to happen on them uh, don't sound too dissimilar from this, uh, and uh, because no one, I, no one can talk to me about kids stuff. Uh, but there is a lot of uh, stuff out there on the internet about children that have gone missing, and of course, like re weird reports and rumors around some of these places, especially in other countries. So that'll be one of those that, like, a decade from now, uh, when there's some sort of like village of the damned situation with a bunch of really fucked up kids that were like a result of this. Oh, they, they like some of them are, are like orphans that were adopted. So that there's no one to track it. There's 
this this rabbit hole of Nexium and everything that comes with it just keeps going. Uh, and like every day there's a new thing that's like, oh, hey, did you know about all the all the missing kids? And you're just like, I ah, fucking what what happened? Like, oh, weird, like Nazi science experiments. Like, OK, well, that's God. I hope somebody helps. Like, it's just always that is like I hope somebody steps in. <laughs> One of the most shocking revelations in the New York Times article was about something called collateral. Can you explain what collateral means in Nexium speak. The, the women uh, that were part of this sorority nonsense thing, uh, it was basically to train women that uh, you are supposed to be subservient to men uh, and stop asking questions and to shut down uh, any sort of rhetorical or even self-preservational impulse in 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 how you function day to day. So one of those one of those elements included this text messaging program where. Uh, if any man texted you at any any point, day or night, uh, and you didn't respond back within a few minutes, uh, you would be punished uh, by the other women in the program, uh, physical abuse. Uh, and that was just to make sure that no one ever thought for themselves, but also, you know, it, it, it was such a, a frequently used thing that it prevents anyone from ever really getting into, like, REM sleep or whatever. You know, it, every part about this is about, like, shutting down a woman's body to the point where like cognitive thought is like four levels deep on what you could even possibly hope to do that day. Like at at some point you're just, uh, it is trying to create a robot every level to break you down and then rebuild you in their image. Uh, And, and even in what was ostensibly supposed to be the journalist training thing, which they, they called an ethics training course, which never really corresponded to anything to do with journalism. Um, you would get it. You would break down into these smaller groups of like five or six, uh, and several people told me that like in their in their big five week training sessions, they were fairly convinced that they were the only non plant in their small groups. Like there'd be there'd be five people there that all were already in the cult, and then it was them. So in the small group thing, if you looked over and said to somebody like, "I think this is bullshit," they'd be like, "I believe it entirely, and I love it, and you should too," which on it. Once again, on just a purely economic macro scale, the idea of having a training for 100 people for five weeks where 92 of them are already in your organization, but you're just having them pretend to try and maybe get eight people. It just it's a it's just bad business (laughs) on top of everything else. It just doesn't scale. So uh, as part of this breaking down process uh, and, and this really gets to the heart of everything that we've talked about so far the the thrust of of some of these exercises or or most of them was to reveal all of your deepest darkest secrets to everyone else uh that was supposed to create a a bond of trust you see uh but ostensibly everything is being recorded uh and everyone else there you know is taking notes on everything that you say and you're just you're giving stuff in fact uh the application that I had for the job also asked me to reveal some details. And that was before I'd even was even going to go there. And I was like, hold up, what's all this then? Uh, Cause another Scientology playbook page. So uh, it's, it's to get you to reveal every bad thing, not even the bad things that you've done, but every bad thing that has happened to you in your life. Uh, and then to explain to everyone uh, repeatedly over the course of weeks, how all of those things were actually your fault. Uh, and so a, a, a person told me a story about being in a small group with another non-plant. And uh, the woman was, of course, talking about like uh, a brutal uh, rape that had occurred to her years earlier. Uh, and right out of the gate, the whole group was like, OK, well, let's discuss how that was your fault. And they just kept coming back to it. And at some point, that was the the thing that that broke uh, my interviews back was just like, I, I don't know what's happening here. But repeatedly asking a woman to explain how her rape was her fault doesn't seem to have anything to do with making a website about news. I don't understand what's happening here. But that is that is the thesis. So to answer the question of what collateral is, collateral is this idea that everyone involved uh, eventually has like that. That's just the five week training program. I have no fucking idea how deep that shit goes when you're in it for years because it's still the same program. So you're at some point, I don't even know if you're like recovering false memories to admit to things that you never did, but you are building just this giant black blackmail packet uh, for them to have. So again, it's not a crime if you freely offer this information up, but also like 
that's what they have on you then. And, and it's just a way to keep you in, even if you don't want to be. We've talked a lot about Keith, but there is another woman at the top of this organization who had a tremendous amount of power, and that is Nancy Saltzman. What can you tell us about her? Nancy is a woman uh, who uh, sort of got involved with Keith uh, back when he was just the business guy uh, and then helped craft some of these things that eventually led into Nexium. And she is she is the mother of Nexium. In fact, she is Keith's partner. They have special words for, for Keith and special words for her. They, they're sort of seen as the co-runners of the cult. And in fact, uh, like all of the money and like all of the ownership of the cult is is technically in her name. Uh, so like nothing about Keith can be touched. And Nancy uh, is just the weirdest goddamn human being that you can imagine. She has uh, spent years uh, studying hypnotism, uh, which she practices uh, regularly. Uh, she she is involved in every level of what's happening here. And it is it was befuddling to me when I found out about her because I was just like, well, she's not taking part in any of the sex ring stuff. Uh, what's she here for? And what does she hope to get out of it? What is she? Why does she believe this? Uh, and the, and the answer is, I think, just power. But also that like when when the arrests finally uh, happened uh, over some of this stuff uh, a while back, uh, which it's worth mentioning, like. Finally, the state of New York and the FBI had enough to go get Keith in Mexico and to get Allison and to get a couple of other people, including the Bronfman sisters, who we, ha- we haven't hit on, but they're heiresses that have basically also uh, infinity money bankrolled this organization. Uh, they're they're certainly victims because they're young and very impressionable and uh, everyone really worries about them. Uh, Nancy wasn't arrested. And so for like six months there, I was like, was was this the plan all along? Did Nancy actually sell Keith out? Cause she was sort of at the height of, of what the, the organization was going to be. And suddenly Keith was gone and she, and the organization was still chugging along just fine. And it's just like, all right, now it's just Nancy's show. And I was like, is this why she let him have like a weird sex cult? Like just setting him up to get arrested. And then it's just hers one day, uh, which um, if anyone's seen wild, wild country, uh, there's sort of a parallel line of thought there. And it's like, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's, that's Nancy and Nancy uh, finally got arrested. And, uh, and after these arrests, uh, everyone was still doing interviews. Allison was still talked to any press that wanted to talk to her. And so was Keith. And they all still had this United front. And Allison was like, uh, Allison turned down plea deals because she wanted to go to trial with Keith. Uh, and everyone else was on the same page. And the Bronfman sisters are still paying for everybody's lawyers. Uh, and then Nancy got arrested and Nancy immediately flipped, uh, just like right out of the gate was like, fuck you all. Um, I'm, I'm turning, I'll be the first one to turn and I'm going to get out of here. Uh, and since that happened, uh, the things that have come in the, the weeks that have followed have been a lot of everyone is turning on everyone else very quickly to, to the point where like, I'm not even sure what you would get for turning on anyone at this point. It's just all flowing up to Keith and everyone else is trying to get out. And the big news this week. Uh, was, of course, that Allison pled guilty uh, finally and was like, you know, Keith deceived me. I thought we were doing something good. And that's the first time she's ever, ever said anything that was anti-Keith. And so I don't know what Nancy's plan was or if there ever even was one, but she always seemed like the secret genius behind the very, very dumb cult man uh, and that she had something she was trying to do. And I don't know how close she got. And someday... Someday I really want to find out. You mentioned the parallels to Scientology earlier, and I'm wondering if there are any ways that they similarly went after detractors or journalists, if you have any experience with that. People were coming out of the woodwork to talk to me about things, or, or some people were just like, hey, I was in it, and I, I wanted to thank you, and, and things like that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, and that's nice. And then other people were like, hey, do you know, I haven't talked to my son in four years. Do you know where he is? Is he at the Vancouver office. Do you know if he's even still in the organization or if he's even still alive? And I was like, those are okay. That's a, that's a heavier order uh, than just being told I'm a nice boy who did good. Uh, and uh, there was so much of it all of a sudden that I was like, okay, there, well, there's, there's clearly a lot more here to do. I'm going to, I'm just going to start talking to people and we'll find a way to do that. And, and around that time, um, well, I was still one of the only people to have really called them out uh, early before the the branding stuff and to call them a cult. And two or three other journalists 
before me uh, in in like 2013 and uh, or so had had written similar pieces or, or just uh, like uh, Vanity Fair wrote one just about the Bronfman sisters. And uh, those people got uh, nuisance sued into oblivion. I think one of those is still in courts right now because they had the money to sue somebody just like Scientology does. Uh, and uh, so I spent like a month, like every time, like the UPS guy showed up and knocked on my door and wanted a signature. I was like, I'm definitely being served right now with a lawsuit. Like I, I was, I was in kind of constant fear and that was made worse by the fact that uh, they had a, uh, two different, uh, guys that started following me everywhere. I went, um, around my neighborhood and around the city taking pictures of me. They were, uh, detectives that they, they had hired to do this and, uh, they weren't very good at their jobs. Uh, so it was at first I was, I would like walk up to them and try to talk or like, uh, do something that was sort of funny to me like that. And that's when I realized like, oh, they didn't expect to catch me doing something at the Subway sandwich restaurant in my neighborhood at two o'clock in the afternoon that would prove that I'm, you know, blackmailable. Like, yes, I, I eat a tuna sandwich every other day. I, you know, I don't treat my body well. It's fine. That doesn't mean that you're not a cult. Uh, or like there was a guy one day that was sitting at a completely empty brunch place with me and my, my wife. And at some point she leaned over and was like, that guy sitting behind us, uh, has a notebook and every time Brock that you talk he writes in the notebook and every time you stop talking he stops writing in the notebook and I stood up and the guy scrambled to hide two different notebooks in a bag and then act like he wasn't doing anything and I was just like oh fucking come on like what is this so uh, real nonchalant like th- that guy actually that one wasn't meant to intimidate me he was just awful at his job uh, but like I started having to tell friends to like go, take a back entrance to my apartment building and stuff. Cause I was just like, I don't know if they're out there right now and I just don't want whatever this is. But there was a sort of a large contingent of, of people in the Los Angeles area who had previously been a part of this. There was, they actually had sort of a survivors group that would meet up for coffee once a week. And so, uh, they were like, Hey, if you want to talk to anybody about this or like, if we can give you more information, I was like, yeah, cause I'm going to take this somewhere. And, and there've been a couple of different forms that that's taken, including like a, a TV show that still may or may not happen. There's just, there's a lot of material that came from this, but um, it became very difficult to try to meet with people because I was like, I have a tale. Oh, I sound like a spy movie. Uh, I was just like, yeah, I don't want anyone to know who's talked to me and I want to keep everyone as safe as possible, especially, and, and especially at a time when those sources like me might just get sued to death uh, and I was like, okay, I, I want to get as much information as I can to do as good of a job as I can, but we've got to like keep everyone protected. Uh, and so like meeting people face to face went out the window and even like, uh, doing the calls that I was doing, uh, I started like recording stuff and then like putting it into a drive and then like hiding that drive in a closet and then deleting all the files and scrubbing them from my computer in case, in case somebody somewhere was good enough at hacking to get a thing. And I was just like, okay, this is, it it was, it was a level of fear that like, I'm glad that I was safe about it. But in retrospect, I was like, it it was a bit much, or at least I I feel like it was now, but at the same time, like men were following me uh, around. uh, So like, I don't know. I, I, the, the best part of it was when all of this sort of hit and then every news outlet in the world called them a sex cult at the same time. I was like, well, pressure's off me now for being the guy. Uh, you mentioned that Nexium is still operational um, and that there are people inside and that you've been speaking to people on the outside who are speaking to people on the inside. So what is it like to leave? And what is it like for the people still inside? They are... Um, pretty good all things considered about letting people go some people uh they that they consider like nuisances they'll they'll keep fucking with you for a long time and and you know they'll always be weird legal threats or something on the horizon but a lot of other people when they leave they're just like hey you know what come back whenever uh or when people like at the training programs were like this isn't for me there was no one like trying to stop you from going because it's a numbers game for them if they're going to keep five people from that entire training thing but those five people are going to be there for a decade they've won uh and you being on the fence and always taking a lot of effort to keep you like on board they're just gonna let you go so there there are a lot of people that have left the organization 
that are still friendly with people inside of it. Uh, and there are a lot of people inside of it that have a lot of questions these days. So the ability to sort of pass along messages from family members through people that have left to people that are receptive on the inside to somebody that they were trying to get in touch with in the first place is a weird telephone game. There was a lot of it. Uh, and, and that was something that I thought was being the most productive, but the rest of it was just, uh, I was like, I, I don't know how to get people out one at a time because I'm not a cult deprogrammer, but I was like, I think that we can do, uh, enough research and stuff to, to make a, a legal case here and, and to, and pass information along to the FBI and hope that it got, uh, shut down. And of course that, has kind of happened. Uh, but in, in the process of talking to one of the insiders, uh, uh, like six months down the line from when my piece came out, I was told that actually around the time it published that something like maybe a hundred people, uh, left the cult, like basically within the next week, uh, which I'd never known about. And I was like, Oh no, fuck. I did like a good thing with my life. Uh, and like, it is difficult to think of like, even now I'm like, Oh, did wait, really like that happened? Because, they were told not to believe anything from the outside world. This it was a whole world of like, this is all fake news. And the idea that that many people changed their life over a fucking article in paste magazine online, uh, is still, um, it is a lot. Uh, so that one, that is, that is how I've helped. And like, I, I still hear stories from people that are like, yeah, you know, like I did get out like a year later, but like that article was when I first like raised the eyebrow and was like, hold up what's going on here. And that, I, I think that also primed it for like when the, uh, when the DOS and the, the branding and stuff came out months later that enough people had already had some of their faith shook that they were ready to believe such an over the top outlandish story as that, instead of like just being faced with that thing that would have seemed like, yes, the media is attacking us and our leader with the most nonsense story ever. At least mine was there to be like, yeah, you know what? There's a lot going on around here that doesn't really add up. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many people are still there? Even people within the organization can't answer this for me, and 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 no one ever has, and it's, it's another one of those things that seems deliberately built. Um, I have no idea how many people are in Nexium worldwide. They have offices in a bunch of countries. Uh, they have people everywhere. And, and more importantly, uh, and this is... This becomes sort of like a, a, th a thing that became a big talking point around the various projects that I've worked on with it is like, what's the goal? It's like, well, to stop Nexium, but like, how do you stop this? Because it is it is a, a religion ostensibly. And like there are practicing members that are not like living in a compound somewhere. They're spread out all the all over the world. And even when like Keith goes to jail, there will still be people that believe in this teaching for ostensibly if the kids grow up to like generations and like they they may never out themselves and they may always be in the shadows or just in their own homes or doing whatever so there is still just a lot of people out there there's certainly people uh in albany in the woods uh at the not only the compound that they have there but they actually own uh keith owns most of the town uh and it's mostly houses that are occupied by members of the cult which people don't know when they show up there that it's just a whole uh, spooky hot fuzz uh, town uh, for the greater good. Um, there's that. They have, they had just uh, right after my thing came out, opened up a new office in like San Francisco. Uh, they have people that are still doing very active and open things and trying to do stuff, but their recruiting is currently suspended. They have a thing up on their website saying, we're sorry, but like we're trying to get back into it, but just not right now. And it's like fucking good, eat shit. Uh, so, I assume that they're still probably doing recruiting in, in lower levels, or at least like, you know, they definitely didn't give up on all the people that were in their acting programs, churning out thousands of dollars for them a month. And, you know, they're alive and they still believe in this. And there's a lot of people still in there that, you know, like any cult situation, the fact that the United States government came in and arrested their leader makes them believe more because that's what he said. He was going to be arrested for being, such a smart guy. And we didn't even, we don't even have time to get into it, but Keith, Keith has surrounded himself with such a, a weird cult of personality about how smart he is that like, there are stories that he tells his followers that are, they accept to be real, including things like he, uh, he can't drive his own car because his brain is so powerful. Uh, it will set off police radar detectors. And that's why people have to drive his car for him. And everyone just goes along with stuff like that. And like, 
it, there's so many of them that usually when I do like a podcast, like somebody's like, have you heard this one yet? And I'm like, fucking nope, but I, I believe it. And it's that, that one too. Wow. Okay. Like, it's just, he's, he can, he just kept telling people that I'm a genius and, and he doesn't talk to anybody. And so it has that very Jared Kushner quality of like, if he never speaks, he must be very smart. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> God, it, so that just keeps going. The the less that the less that Keith Raniere ever says, the more intelligent he seems to the people that want to see Keith Raniere as smart, uh, and and those people will be hard to to convince otherwise. <laughs> what do you think is about to happen in the trial, which has just started? Their defense is currently, well, if if Keith is doing something wrong, then isn't Scientology doing something wrong? Because we just do the same thing as Scientology, which means. <laughs> That their defense would be a, a a case that if 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 they go on to prove that Keith is guilty, which they will, is also to say that Scientology is guilty and opens up the legal system to be able to go after Scientology, which I was like, oh, this is that like Godzilla let them fight moment where like fucking cool. There's no losers here. Um, but also like in just once again, like the dumbest guy in the world moment. That means that Scientology knows that Keith is opening this up. And I can't in in my fantasy, like just day one of the of the main court case, uh, like the prosecution just winds up having eight extra lawyers that show up and the people are like on prosecution, like, who are you? And they're like, we're very expensive lawyers set here from Los Angeles. The the tab has been paid for you. We're just here to help. Like they Scientology now has invested interest in seeing Keith Raniere go down. And it's just like, well, OK, like it's. How do you think people should handle friends or family members that are still in the organization? How can they support them? How can they get them out? Uh, we are in such an odd situation right now, uh, which is a place where um, the the fucking Hydra is all in jail uh, all at the same time. And there's a bunch of people that have like sort of their faith uh, on its last legs here. If I had anyone in the organization that was a family member of mine, this would be this would be the actual time that I would try to go and physically find them and just remind them that they're loved and that they're always going to be a part of of your family or always be your friend or something just to show an outpouring of love. Because there's been um, like I, I what one of the things that Allison Mack did when, you know, uh, when these allegations came out was to like post some sad thing online, which was the first time she'd posted on her Instagram in like three or four years or something. Uh, and the comments were immediately filled with people being like, fuck you, burn in hell and stuff like that. And my first reaction was like, well, hold up. If you're trying to show her that like, this is something she should leave and that she could help bring other people out. Maybe don't make her think that the entire outside world is exactly how Keith has always described it to be full of hateful, like people that are trying to destroy you. Like I, she's, she's real fucked up and she's done some real fucked up things, but like, uh, screaming fuck you bitch at her, at her on Instagram isn't, uh, isn't helping her or anyone else that's trapped in the same place as her. Uh, so I, I know it's, I know it's a fucking, saccharine thing but I don't think it is in this case just letting somebody know that you love them or that they're still in your life even if they have pushed you out of theirs like that's that's it I can't think of anything better than that because we've we've left the point of anybody needing to like hear the facts about something <laughs> like there's no new piece of information like there's been a thousand newspaper articles there's no more breaking thing there's nobody left trying to hide the truth except within the walls of that place Brock, thank you so much for being with us here today. You can follow Brock at, at Brock Wilbur on Twitter, or you can visit his website at BrockWilbur.com. You can just search for his name on iTunes, uh, and you'll see a bunch of different podcasts. I'd recommend the political podcast that he does with his wife, Vivian Kane, about being hyper-political in the Midwest called Missouri Loves Company. Thank you for listening to On Belief, a podcast about cults. I'm Karen Geyer. You can follow me at at K-A-R-E-N-G-E-I-E-R or follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter at OnBeliefPod. And you can contribute to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Karen Geyer. You can also visit our website. It's just OnBelief.com. Next week. Towards the mid-60s to mid to late 60s, she started to 
talk about this idea of collecting a group of children. Um, she had one child herself, a daughter, but she started to spread the idea of, 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 of accumulating a family. The Family with guest Chris Johnson.